Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat, if you would. Glad you're all here today. As we are uh, trying to navigate this 2022 January, you know, it is going around and um, it got me last week and it wasn't so much fun. But, you know, I'm thankful to God for health. I'm thankful to feel strong again and all the rest. And there's so many people in our church and our city, as you all know, are just have been hit pretty hard by all of this. So let's just continue to remember our church family. Let's continue to remember our coworkers. Let's continue to remember our neighbors in prayer. Uh, let's be intentional about checking on people and asking, hey, can we bring you something? Uh, especially if you friends in our church now, if you know of people in need, please let us know. We wanna be able to serve the city around us, whether it's dropping off soup or whatever we can do to try to help our city. Let's be the, the, the servant-hearted, children of God and, and, and look after our, our neighbor's well-being. That we certainly want to do right by Christians, of course, but certainly that's also not what we're called to only serving the church. We're called to serve our city. And so let's just be mindful to do that. So today um, we are jumping into, uh, before I even begin all that, I want to say thank you to Pastor Mark uh, Dunford. Thank you so much. Um, last week, yeah, I see Joanna doing this. Thanks, bro. Seriously. Um, Mark, Mark, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't tell, am I sick? Am I not sick? I was kind of doing one of these things, you know? Uh, and then on Saturday last week, I went, I think I shouldn't, I, I think I'm sick. Okay. So <laughs> I emailed Mark my manuscript and uh, the this, this, this sermon, and Mark's like, okay, I got it. After his whole work week on Saturday, rang him up and Mark rallied, went to the office, grabbed commentaries, studied the manuscript, got out here last Sunday morning, was shoveling snow. Like, come on, pastor, that's awesome, you know? And then delivered the gospel so clearly. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. And we've got a marvelous team, you know? Dan and Meg and Lisa and Kim and Bug, who's on maternity leave, like we have an absolutely incredible team that we get to serve with week by week. Um, so just thanks for filling in and lifting and doing all that stuff. Um, and let's just remember to keep all the staff in prayer too. So, okay, so just thank you. All right, so with that being said, uh, as Mark mentioned a moment ago, today we're looking at the providence of God, how God provides for the world. And so we're taking three weeks, and we're going to take the vision of Redemption Church and drop it into your workplace. This applies to those, by the way, who are currently maybe unemployed or those who have uh, retired from vocational work itself, that if you find yourself not clocking in and punching a card from nine to five in a traditional uh, way of viewing work, I want you to not disconnect. The same way we would say if we were preaching on a passage about marriage, and if you are not married, I'd want you to listen to what God has to say anyway, because it's for the benefit of the entire body. That's why God speaks to 
all of us. So he speaks to the married and the unmarried. He speaks to the employed, the unemployed. He speaks to those who have transitioned into a later stage of life. He speaks to all of us. And all of Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for everyone that we might grow as followers of Jesus. So we're taking the vision of our church and we're dropping it into your workplace. The vision of Redemption Church is very simple. We are striving to respond to God and the gospel through remaining faithfully present to God, ourselves, and each other. We're striving to respond to God and the gospel through remaining faithfully present to God, self, and others. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to show what it looks like to be faithfully present to God at your workplace. What is it like to be faithfully present to yourself in the workplace? What does it look like to be faithfully present to others in the workplace? So that's what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks. And we're practicing faithful presence. And I'm telling you, as uncool as the vision of faithful presence may sound, <laughs> um, like it's not that flashy of a thing, really. Like just peruse evangelicalism on the internet and you'll find more flashy ideas. But this one, the idea of practicing faithful presence really is a strong apologetic for the gospel, especially in a relationally challenged city like Seattle. So we have got to be thoughtful, creative, intentional, and genuine in really showing up in each of these relationships to put down the phone <laughs> and become present to God to stop the frantic pace of life and be present to yourself, to lay aside your own agenda and put someone else's needs before yours and be present to someone else, this speaks of our responding to God and the gospel in real space and real time. The last thing we want to do is produce disciples that merely think about the gospel up here every once in a while, but never actually translates into the daily life. The gospel is relevant to all of our lives, which includes our workplace. And so, over the next month, we're looking at where we end up spending literally one-third of our lives, which is in the workplace. <laughs> one-third. Literally, your average, your average North American person over the course of their lives will spend 90,000 hours in the workplace. 90,000 hours. And so, as followers of Jesus, if we don't connect our worship to our workplace, we'll spend all of our lives in this state of dualism rather than experiencing the fullness of life one that's integrated rather than divided and fragmented. And so we'll talk about dualism in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to begin in prayer. So let's pray together for just a moment. Father, thank you for a new year. Thank you for our church. Thank you for how you have preserved us. Today, we need a fresh word from you. Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you instruct us, your church, 
through my speech and your presence. Help me to say that which is true. Help me in this moment to worship you as your son and your servant. Help me to stay in step with your Holy Spirit and to magnify Jesus the Savior. Breathe new life into us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before we begin talking about faithful presence in the workplace, it's important that we look and see what God actually has to say about work. And as we do, I thought it might be kind of interesting to look at what other religions, especially earlier religions, religions that predate the writing of Genesis, what were they saying about work prior to Moses writing Genesis? Wouldn't that be interesting? Perhaps you've come across at some point, maybe on the History Channel or maybe in a course in uh, anthropology or in archaeology at some point, you might have heard of the texts known as the Enuma Elish. You've heard of the, has anybody heard of this? The Enuma Elish or the Atrahashish, the Gilgamesh epic might be the most famous one. Like, okay, there it is, Gilgamesh. Right. Okay, these texts belonged to ancient Babylon. And that was, it was a way of going about describing the creation account. And they're really interesting. They're, they, they actually absolutely blew my mind back when I was in school over in London, seeing this stuff for the first time. And it's absolutely fascinating. And what you learn in these early texts that predate the writing of Genesis, there's essentially, there's a creation account. And after creation, the lower gods have to work the earth. And they work, they're working hard. And they begin to complain. So they revolt and they go against the higher courts. And then they begin to negotiate with the great gods. And then they propose a solution. I don't want to work the world. You run it. No, you run it. No, you run it. Here's what we'll do. Let's make people, and they have to run it. And that's the solution. And that's where human beings come from. And so the lower gods hand the labor over to the humans. And that's the creation account that predates Genesis. Interesting, huh? Then you open up Genesis, and what's Moses found saying to a bunch of liberated slaves out in the desert? Oh, no, 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 no. That God didn't make the sun, and that God didn't make the moon, and that God didn't make the sea. No, the one true God, Yahweh, is our one creator, and he created you, and you are not the result of a cosmic fight in heaven, but rather, God creates human beings in his image and likeness because it flows out of who he actually is. That work itself is given to human beings, not as a curse, but as part of the original blessed state. As Lisa just read to us in Genesis 2, did you notice that? God creates Adam, places him in the garden to what? To work it and keep it. Oftentimes I've noticed in my own life, and I've definitely heard other Christians kind of say it this way, well, you know, work is the curse. We have to go back and go, no, actually work's not the curse. All of creation fell under the curse, but work itself is part of the original blessing. 
So when Moses comes on the scene and begins to start telling the people who have been liberated, he tells them you're not the result of a fight, you're the result of God's loving character who brought you into being. And work is not a curse, but we were designed to carry out a various kind of vocation. What a beautiful way to begin the Bible. A good creator making us in his image and likeness and giving us tasks to do. It's a profound apologetic. Can you imagine what the early Hebrews must have thought having been delivered out of Babylonian, out of uh, Egyptian captivity in which Babylonian ideas would have been swirling around? Can you imagine getting out in the desert and going, wait, so our one true God, the creator, is also our savior? And Moses says, yeah, and he's going to be with you. So that's how the Bible begins. It's beautiful. Okay, so your job is not God's punishment on you. <laughs> Though sometimes it might feel that way. <laughs> Am I being punished? Did I do something to deserve this email or this <laughs> task at hand? But work is not God's punishment. So, after God puts Adam in the garden, and even the way, I, got, I can't miss this part, even when God creates Adam, it is, it is so beautiful. It says in Genesis 2 that he reaches into the earth and he forms Adam out of the dust, right? And then he, it says that he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living creature, a living being. And the way that Hebrew scholars will start talking about God breathing into Adam, it's as close, that they begin to speak in terms of intimacy. Saying, it's, it's like a kiss. So God kisses Adam, essentially. And Adam becomes alive with the breath of God. So, of course, once you start reading on after sin and the curse and all the rest, of course you get over to Exodus chapters 1, 2, and 3. And, of course, the one who began it all in a kiss is found liberating his people. Isn't that beautiful? Ah, oh, Okay. So he puts Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. And so as God places Adam in the garden, he does so out of love. Like of all creation, where God could begin with his human beings, he puts them in this beautiful, blessed place to have fellowship with Adam. And that Adam and Eve might go about carrying out their task of working and keeping the garden. Okay. There's work even to be done in Eden. Like, if you're like me, kind of growing up in church, and if you see like a, maybe a children's Bible or something, you can kind of get the idea that Adam and Eve were just created to kind of lounge around, sit around, eat a lot, Put your feet up, and kind of do nothing, and no animals are going to hurt you. It's kind of a good setup. But 
that's kind of the end. That's kind of it. That's all we're there to do. But that's not the way the Bible talks at all. Rather, Scripture says we've been called and created for fellowship with God and to work. So after God creates, he places Adam in the garden to work and labor and keep the garden. And then after sin through the serpent enters creation, this is what we read in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, and you'll eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. All right, so this is why work is difficult. <laughs> All things have been subjected under the curse of sin. Now, doctrinally, when we talk about how God provides for his world, we talk about it in terms of what the, the, the word is called providence, how God provides for the world. And perhaps the most recognizable place in the Bible from where we're instructed uh, and, and get our instruction from Jesus himself on this doctrine of providence comes from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Right. Give us this day our daily bread. And so this is where it actually gets really, really fun. We are instructed by Jesus to go straight to God and provide, to ask God to provide for our daily food our daily food, our sustenance. Now remember, when Jesus is teaching these things, he, he's not living in the days of the Exodus in which manna just fell out of the sky and provided for those who had been liberated. Rather, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he was teaching them to pray the way he would talk to us to pray in the days in which we live with farmers and field workers and harvesters mill workers and bakers. So when Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread, he's calling us to pay more attention to how God actually gets the bread to the table, right? So give us this day our daily bread acknowledges the good and the gracious providence of God in every detail of the process. That someone was involved in plowing the field. And someone was involved in planting the seeds. And then someone else watered, and someone else provided fertilizer, and someone else harvested, and someone else crushed the grain, and someone else worked with the flour, and someone else got the water from the well, and someone else got the yeast, and someone else got the salt, and someone else then took those things and needed it, and then someone got it to the baker, and somebody built a fire so that the baker could then labor over the flour and turn this in to bread, and then someone had to take that to the market on Friday and before, you know, Sabbath, and then you buy your bread. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread is not a prayer that they prayed in the Exodus. That was a given. They knew the promise, it's going to come out of the sky. But by the time Jesus gets on the scene, he's going, this is how God provides 
for the world. Isn't that amazing? It absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, think, the way you woke up this morning, as Martin Luther King pointed out one time, you depended on two-thirds of the world before you got out of bed. <laughs> like, when you woke up this morning, you likely woke up in a bed that you did not design. <laughs> Someone else did that. And you probably didn't sew those, the, the sheets. And then you got up and you walked down a hall that you didn't build. And you walked into a kitchen. Maybe you designed it, maybe you didn't. And then you made your coffee. Where'd those beans come from? Oh, here we go. <laughs> and then you brew your coffee. And you go get a cup that you didn't make out of a cabin, cabinet that you didn't make. And you drank your coffee. And then you walked down the hall. And you turned on water to come out of a faucet that hundreds and hundreds of people worked at the water treatment facility worked on to make sure that that water was safe for your consumption. And then you were able to get into the shower. And the shower was not freezing cold, thanks be to God. But it was a warm shower. And you were able to use soap. All of this was given to you. And then you get in a car and you drive, drive on streets that our government's working on. <laughs> Yeesh. Uh, but nonetheless, and our streets are policed, designed to keep us safe. And someone else made those signs. All before we could get here today, you see? We're constantly depending on the whole world around us. And what this does for us as followers of Jesus, oh, this is so exciting. It drives up our gratitude for our neighbors. Imagine if the guy didn't come collect your recycling after Christmas. What would your house look like? We're still trying to get rid of all of our recycling, honestly. But think, it drives up your gratitude. It drives up your gratitude. And these are people, some of them know Jesus and worship him, and some of them don't. And yet, their work is still serving you. That's amazing. It drives up gratitude. It drives up our gratitude. This is how God serves the world. And not only does it drive up our gratitude for everyone around us, it reminds us that God is blessing many in our city who do not know him. And it changes how we go about our work, which is what we'll end up focusing on over the next few weeks. So what do you do with your vocation, with your work? How does God provide daily bread through your nine to five? Are you a stay-at-home parent? <laughs> well, then you're literally providing everything for those kids. In fact, that might be that's the job that just does not end, does it? There's no clock out. <laughs> Are you an engineer? What have you designed? In what way did it provide for somebody else? Are you a dentist? How have you improved the health of your patients? Are you a therapist? In what ways have you brought about mental health to your clients? 
You, I'm smiling from ear to ear under here. I, you probably are too. We, anyway, like this is, this is absolutely fascinating to me. Are you a student? In what ways are you preparing yourself to better serve the world? Are you an accountant? How does your balancing the books and the spreadsheets serve the company that in turn serves others? Are you an artist? What are you making? And for who? Oh, so as you, I wanna challenge you to just think, how does the labor of my hands, my mind, my relationships, the words I use, how am I uniquely positioned in this city, at this place, at this time, to serve the world around me. So with that being said, I want to invite Lisa up. Lisa is going to lead us in our time of reflection uh, through repentance and gratitude, and then we'll, we'll go into a time of the gospel and communion. All right, Lisa. We just wanted to take a few minutes to um, pause before we head into communion. And be present to God and ourselves in gratefulness and repentance. So Alex just shared with us the providence of God um, being largely that we, God uses us as people to uh, accomplish the work that he sees fit on earth. And um, we, we are stewards of this earth that he's given us, and we work together uh, to make it, um, to make it, to continue God's work and to glorify God in that. Um, and in gratitude, we acknowledge our interdependence on one another, that we did not earn or deserve all that we have. I didn't really work for the shower that I took this morning. And honestly, you mentioned that, but I was really struggling with gratitude this morning. I was um, thinking as I was coming up here, uh, I, I was so hard. I actually got into a cold shower this morning, and I was so ticked because I was freezing cold. And, uh, you know, I spent the morning, I spent, I was up early, and the heat hadn't even come on yet, and I was so cold, and I got in a cold shower, and I was just like, dang, but I am still taking a shower, and I get to go talk about gratitude, and I am struggling so much in my heart to actually be thankful. And the thing is that gratitude isn't always a feeling that we have. In fact, oftentimes it just isn't, but it is an attitude of our hearts and it is an action that we take. And I even had to repent for a minute this morning, just like, I'm sorry I was not, I was being a jerk to my husband because I was kind of mad about the shower. Anyway, gratitude is an attitude of our hearts. And so I want to ask you today, what, where is your heart at rest? Are you at rest in gratitude? There's so many people that serve us daily, as Alex mentioned, and I love how he went through all of that, from our garbage people to the baker to the people who provide coffee um, to our school crossing guards um, to teachers to... Um, you name it. There are so many people every single day. Um, I was brushing my hair this morning, thinking about, you know, 
I have a hairbrush. Uh, I have a coffee mug from an artist that I really love and I appreciate that and just praying for her this morning as I drank my coffee. Um, I wanna ask you if you have been in gratefulness for the people serving you, if you have been living out of an attitude of gratefulness or have you been living out of an attitude of entitlement, of um, self-righteousness, of self-preservation, of I'm in a hurry and I need to get my, my work done and the road traffic is in my way, my barista who's having a bad day is taking too long, um, this person at work next to me is just driving me crazy or they're talking my ear off or they're chewing their gum too loud. Uh, whatever it is, is, has your heart been in a place of gracious thanksgiving? And as Christians, we really should be the most thankful and the most gracious people because we have experienced that extreme grace from Jesus Christ. We know the grace of God. You know it. You have experienced, if you know Jesus, then you have experienced that unearned, undeserving grace that says, I'm going to lift you up, I'm going to lift your chin, I'm going to cause you to stand, and I'm going to make you like me, even though you haven't earned it. So we know this, and we get to go out into the world and be that for other people. So before we get into communion, let's just take a moment of um, silence to repent of the areas that we have not appreciated, the people who are pro providing for our comfort and our well-being. Um, and then let's give thanks for those people. Thank you. I'm going to say a prayer for us. I'm going to give you just a minute um, to of silence re reflection, and then um, I will pray over, over all of us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather this morning from all over your city. We gather from the places you have called us to serve. We come with hearts, minds, and hands that are full, Lord, full of stories to tell, stories of praise and thanksgiving, stories of sadness and confession some of us carry urgent requests for you, Lord. We need you to move quickly in our lives and our world. We carry these things before you, Lord, openly and honestly as an act of love for you and our neighbor. May all our offerings be a sacrifice of praise to you this day. Gather our stories into your story. Gather our work into your work. 
bring our lives into your life. For you have called us here, Lord. You have carried us and all these things to you. And so we gather, Lord, for worship, not by our power, but by the power of your spirit, not in our name, but in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. May we today be a sacrifice of praise to you. Amen. Okay, friends. So, Brian, you want to come and lead us? Um, don't check out and go on autopilot right here. Listen, we haven't talked about the gospel yet today. Have you noticed that? We just heard a lot about how God provides through, through the work of our neighbors. But the church does not gather merely in the name of the doctrine of the providence of God. We gather in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Wherever two or three gather in his name, he is present. He is among us. So church, here's the good news of the gospel. It's not your neighbor's work, as great as that is and as much as we benefit. The good news of the gospel is this, that our good, loving creator God who put us in the garden to keep the garden and walk in fellowship with him, we rebelled against him. We sided with the serpent and were put under the curse of sin in which thorns would come up from the ground. And yet God in his mercy, in his grace, did not look at us on our worst day and say, you're going to get justice. You're gonna reap everything you just sowed. Rather, God responded to our rebellion, to our evil, to our sin, to our defiance, to our brokenness, to, to all that we became in that moment. God did not run away from us, but rather ran toward us because he's the one who kissed us and brought us into being. Jesus came to this world as the sinless son of God. And as Jesus lived on this earth, he carried out his job as a carpenter, that he did not come down here merely to die as a sacrifice for sin. Though that was his primary objective. Jesus was a carpenter and taught us that all vocation matters to God. And as Jesus goes to his cross, before Jesus was put on his cross, he was crowned with what? Thorns. It is not a coincidence that in the curse in Genesis chapter 3, we see the curse laid upon the head of Jesus himself. And as Jesus hangs on his cross, he breathes out forgiveness of sins over those of us who put him there. And Jesus, the innocent son of God, died. The innocent son was buried. And then he triumphantly resurrected from the grave, welcoming rebels like you and me into the family of God at no cost to us and at infinite cost to God himself. Church, that is good news. We gather around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, that's why our church is here. So please, whatever you do today, don't walk out of here just thinking a new thing about the providence of God. I want you to walk out of the church today reminded that God would rather die than be apart from you, and he did. And so God lives, God reigns, 
Jesus, our King, is present among us now. And so as we take communion today, we are remembering the person and the work of the Lord Jesus who made us the children of God. So Mark, if you would, Mark's gonna come, stand with me to your feet. If you need uh, communion, if you didn't grab it on your way in, we're doing the capsules today. Mark's gonna be handing that out. Um, and as you take communion today, remember what Jesus designed in the Last Supper, where he says, take, eat of this bread, it is broken for you. It represents my body. Drink of this cup, it represents my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So perhaps you feel at distance from God today. Maybe you've sinned against God in some way or your neighbor or a spouse or a friend and you feel that there is an eternal gap between you and God, I want you to remember this morning that as you take communion, Jesus closed the gap entirely. You are one with Christ. He has given you his Holy Spirit. He calls you righteous. He calls you his own. He blesses you today. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for separating our sin as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of the church. And thank you for how you provide for all of our needs through our neighbors. We love you. We pray these things in your good name. Amen.